Well, we're going to uh, continue on with our, our core series uh, today. Thank you for engaging in that, by the way. Um, it was good to hear other people praying as well. Um, and, and Max, it was, uh, it was great to have you share from Ephesians 2, because that's exactly where we're going to be talking from. So um, we, didn't, we didn't sort that out. But I want to read you Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, and I'm going to be focusing on verse 10. So Max, you've already sort of set the scene as such, which is wonderful. God's, uh, God's obviously there. As for you, so this is Ephesians 2, chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open it. If you've got a phone that's got the Bible on it, I'm happy for you to look through it, because you can highlight stuff in that. If you've got an iPad, if you've got glasses that now have stuff that you can see straight on. Use whatever you can to get the word into you. Um, just, just be in the word. That's uh, um, what I ask. So Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the, carving, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This is verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God in advance prepared in advance for us to do. Well, we've all been impacted by the coronavirus at some level, haven't we? Um, our shelves are are fairly bare and there's a bit of hysteria going around. The Baptist Union uh, sent out an email this week about um, the need for uh, making sure that we're just hygienic, which we probably should be anyway, but making sure you wash your hands really well, that um, if you do cough, cover your cough, uh, make sure that it doesn't spread germs, all those sort of things that we probably should do anyway. But it's a good reminder. But I don't know if you can see it well, but this is uh, a few of the... Uh, it's sort of becoming the, the butt of Facebook jokes, isn't it? Uh, the, the coronavirus. That's the Aussie spirit, isn't it? <laughs> the, oh, the butt. I didn't mean that. I didn't, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it. I'm like, why are you laughing? Yeah, I've never made a joke yet. Yeah, I have made a joke. Um, the shelves are empty. We're stockpiling, or that person's stockpiling the toilet paper around the toilet. Um, the guys in, in Costco with um, this, <laughs> I was reading, this guy uh, down the bottom, he had something like 400 rolls of toilet paper. 400 rolls. Um, he was going to be locked in for a while. Uh, <laughs> 400 rolls. Maybe he's got a big family, I shouldn't judge. But, but still. But imagine the, the cost you get up to the, uh, the counter. Uh, that'll be thousands of dollars just for toilet paper. At least it doesn't have a use-by date, I suppose. Um, a few more. Next, next, next slide. Next slide. Uh, how to catch an Australian? <laughs> <Yep>. this, uh, <laughs> 
Next, next one. This, is, this was a good one. I thought this was good. This is a church sign. Reasons to come to church on Sunday. Jesus is awesome. Yeah, that's a great reason. We have toilet paper. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? It sort of has become that sort of thing. And in true Aussie spirit, we make fun about the things that perhaps we probably should worry about a little more, um, but, but we don't. Um, but the reality is there is hysteria that comes with this, this idea that there's a virus that, that could go very wide and it could be really bad. And legitimate or not, unfortunately for, for, for us, it speaks of the reality of the world at the moment. Every man, woman and child for themselves. And whilst it's important that we keep washing our hands well and we be vigilant uh, in doing that, I can't help when I walked down the aisles of Coles the other day with the sign saying, sorry, we have no more toilet paper, I can't help but be embarrassed by the, the selfishness of our humanity. Seeing a gentleman and his family put ridiculous amounts of toilet paper or even I watched a guy put, um, just sweep the baked beans into his, into his basket. He might like to bake beans, but I thought, wow, what have we come to as society when we have to pile for ourselves? I mean, we're going to be careful. We've got to be careful. That's important. I read a good article this week in the American magazine Christianity Today. It was entitled, The Conovirus, Christians, and a Christ-Centred Response. In it, the writer calls Christians to respond through a total reliance on the Word of God. That's a pretty good response, isn't it? Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord, the Lord our God. We might change it to today to say, Some trust in their ability to remain healthy. Or some trust in their share portfolio or their wealth status. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I wonder when things like the coronavirus come around, how readily do we hold on to that promise? Let me read a bit of the article to you. As American Christians, this is American, as American Christians we are accustomed to power and security. I don't think Australia is too far off that. Suddenly, as the possibility for a reversal becomes greater, it is how we respond in times when we feel powerless and vulnerable that may offer the opportunity for growth for us and to witness to others that we say we long for. Jesus, that we say we long for. Jesus told us to let our light shine in a dark world, and our response in a time like this may be to shine. I wonder if in the midst of our fear, uncertainty and loss of hope and power as such, whether we as Jesus followers are ready to move out of talking a good Jesus talk and to begin to walk a good Jesus walk. Sociologist Rodney Stark explored one example where during a plague in AD 251, uh, this plague swept through the Roman Empire, decimating its population. And uh, I think you talked about this on the Jesus a Game Changer um, series, if you've seen that. In his Easter letter around AD 260, Dionysus wrote a tribute to the believers whose heroic efforts cost many of them their own lives during that plague. Pagans tend to flee, tended to flee the cities during the plagues, 
but Christians were more likely to stay and minister to the suffering. According to Dionysus, most of our brother Christians showed unbonded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Needless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. He added, the best of our brothers lost their lives in this matter. A number of presbyters, deacons and laymen winning high condemnation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. Christians, even the very early Christians, were known for how they served in times of need. Christians throughout history have, uh, have been known through the heroic achievements of serving others when others have turned away. And as we focus on our fourth core of the church this morning, we focus on service. And as we move through the text of Ephesians chapter 2, my hope is that we're drawn into an attitude of service within the kingdom of God. That as we serve God's people, ultimately we serve God himself. So let's pray and get stuck into the word. So Lord, we pray that this morning as we think about how we serve one another and the community beyond us, we ask that you help us to understand your word and our need to join in with what you're already doing. Not because it's just a good idea, but because you've already done so much for us. Help us to hear your word well. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, is, it's one of those verses you can always come back to, isn't it? It's one of those verses you, you can you, you look into it again and again, and you'll get something out of it. In fact, it's a, it's a good set of verses to, to try and memorise. Maybe start at verse 10, as, as Max has done this morning, helped us to, to remember. But it's one of those set of verses that you just can't, you can't miss it. It's so good. There's so much depth in it. As I read the passage this week, there are a few things that came to the forefront. In verse 1, it says um, that we were dead in our transgressions. You were dead. You were dead. See, dead, dead means that not just that we're not breathing, more that it means that our eyes were totally on ourself. Our, to- our eyes were on who we are, rather than lifting our eyes off self and putting them onto God. And, and the consequence of that, in verse 3, says we start gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. You know, spiritually dead or dying people lose the fight in the drawer of sin. On our own, the cravings of the flesh are too great a pull. And without God, it's too easy to satisfy that craving. And we start gratifying those cravings. Yet it's incredible that through, though whilst we were still walking away from God, whilst we were still spiritually dead, whilst we were running after those flesh cravings as such, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until he sort of went, all right, they're starting to get it now. He didn't say, well, well until you stop stealing or stop having impure thoughts or until you stop swearing or gossiping, then 
then Christ will die for you. Rather, whilst we were knee-deep in our sinful nature, whilst we succumbed to that same temptation for the hundredth, two hundredth, thousandth time, Christ died for you. Because God knows our nature. It's not to excuse our nature, that's for sure, but God knows our nature and he knows that we need him to make the call. We need him to get the ball rolling because on our own, we just can't do it. So with that, Jesus came to the world, he gave us insight on how we should live and then he died so that in Christ, we get to have new life. We become alive again, as verse 4 says. We're made alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. What an amazing verse. We were dead, totally apart from God, no way back on our own. Sort of like that image of an astronaut sort of uh, going off into space and the, the, the cord that holds him to the thing, to the shuttle, gets taken away from him and he just starts floating back, floating out into space. And then there's no way back on his own. There's no way that he could get back all on his own. Yes, while we're like that, sort of floating in the nothingness, God throws us a lifeline and says, no longer will you be dead. Now you're alive. But it's not by what you do or have ever done. Rather, verse 7 tells us it's by the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Jesus. That's amazing. You can't not be moved by that sentiment. What Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us, how can you not give thanks back to God for that amazing grace, the undeserved favour poured into each and every one of us. And, and Paul, the writer of the Ephesians, he reiterates it once again in verses 8 and 9. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Just in case you missed it the first time. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. Do you think he's trying to get a message across here? He says it a few times. Because you can't claim this is your own doing. You can't say, I got so good that I found favour with God. You can't say that. The other and stark reality is it can't happen that way. It's not going to be able to happen that way. But only by grace. And he tells us why. So that you're not going to go around and boast about how great you are that I found favour with God. But that's good news for us. Because we can't make it ourselves. But it's good news because God gave us that lifeline. A couple of weeks back we talked about uh, mission and evangelism being joined, that, that idea of missionalism. Um, how can we not be on mission with a message of hope that brings us freedom? And the verse 10 that, that Max shared with us before, I love it. Because if, if we stop before verse 10... Our faith could be one that we just go, hey, Lord, that is fantastic. We're free. But we don't need to do anything. We're just free. 
We wouldn't need to move. There'd be no action associated with such a gift. Yet verse 10 is vital to be the people of Christ. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. It suggests that we're created, formed, moulded into the way that God intended us to be created. Now, I've been here for just over a year now, and you've probably picked up that I'm not the handiest type of person. I'm not exactly a handyman. Dave's a, he can work his hands and craft things in really well, but that's not so much me. Um, as a youngster, I had a, a sewing class at school. I don't know what they called it, but we had to, we had to make an oven glove. Did anyone else ever make an oven glove at school? Oh, it, was, it was a pretty cool project. Um, and you think it sounds like an easy enough task. Make an oven glove, huh? cut the shape out and put the stuffing in so it's all um, insulated and sew it all together. You'd think that'd be an easy enough task, wouldn't you? My oven glove had the thumb sort of, had to be bent in like that. It was just, it was just not right. <laughs> it just didn't work. It wasn't that well. So when you put your hand in, it wasn't like that and you can figure it out. It was like that and it's made it really, really tricky. Oh, sorry, you probably can't see like that. No good at all. And, and it didn't help the person using it. But I still had a, a bit of a sense of pride in my work. It was my craftsmanship. I moulded it, I worked it, and even though it had a bent thumb, it was still my work. (laughs) And if we're shaped and moulded into the way God has designed for each of us to be, then it makes sense that we should live into that design. It's no good for my bent thumb oven glove to be used as a tea towel. That wasn't its design. My family, as hard as it made it for them, graciously used it as an oven glove because that's what it was intended to be. We've been created by God to do good works that he has set out for us to do. Who we are has been created to to serve God's purposes. We've been saved to serve. And that's the fourth core that we come to. We've been saved to serve. It's our mandate. And as we serve one another, the people around you you actually start to bring glory to God through your service of him. So the question we have this morning, if serving God and the people on God's earth is part of the core of what it means to be a person of faith and the church of Jesus Christ, then how do we know how we should serve? How do we know what we should do in this space? So unlike most things in Christian living, we should look to Christ. How did Christ do it? How did Christ serve? So four ways we, we can serve as Jesus did, and I'll try and get through these pretty quickly. Because in the economy of greatness, uh, of the economy of greatness, the powerful were not in Jesus' economy of greatness. Sorry, the powerful were not on the top of his list. The wealthy and the intellectual weren't on top of his list. It's not the ones that took advantage of their privilege in life that were on top of his list. It was the ones that served. See, being a servant is often equated with weakness or the powerful ruling over someone else. Yet Jesus measured greatness this way. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, be a servant first. See, being like Jesus was all about being a servant. He himself, in Philippians 2, we are told this is exactly why he came to earth. 
He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's who Jesus is. So the first thing we learn about Jesus' servanthood is that Jesus was always available. There's a story in Matthew 20 where Jesus has been going around with great crowds following him. They're at awe in all of his teachings and they're, they're ready to follow him wherever he's go, going to do more things. And they're coming out of Jericho and they're about to head to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they're, they're getting ready for the, the time of Passover and Jesus would be preparing himself for what is to come. And as he leaves Jericho uh, for this important road, Two blind beggars sitting by the side of the road call out to him, Lord, have mercy on us. I wonder how many times you've had people yell out to you, Lord, have mercy on us. Probably never in those words. But you've probably had someone say, hey, I need a dollar to get by. Have mercy on me. Hey, I need some help. Have mercy on me. Can you tell me how to get to my destination? Have mercy on me. It's easy in these times because we're busy people that have got important agendas and we do a lot of things. We do a lot of good things. It's easy in these times to say, no, sorry, I haven't got the time. And we can move on and get on with our busy lives and let someone else deal with those distractions. Jesus had as much reason to not stop and talk to these two blind beggars as, as anyone he had lots of people to see. He had lots of healings to do. He had lots of um, teaching to be done. Yet verse 32 of Matthew 20 says that Jesus stopped. See, in Jesus' economy of serving, he made himself available to two relative in their time insignificant blind men. Although definitely insignificant to the crowd. But Jesus chose to make himself available in that moment. Dave Brittick and I went on a course the week before last for three days, um, and it, it was considering exactly this sentiment. We talked about God being at work in uh, the world already, and our whole uh, idea is to engage with what God's already doing. And Iona backed that up last week, sharing of how she um, went off to Japan and shared stories about how she sought where God was at work and engaged in that sort of thing. And through this course that Dave and I was on, it was the same thing. We consider where God is at work and we, where we intersect into it, and being present and available to be used by God in those moments. I wonder if you look back over the last week, your last week, whether there were times where you had the opportunity to stop and serve someone or whether you kept walking or driving past. I'm sure if I look back, there are times where I missed out on being present to the situation right in front of me because my eyes were focused on my own busyness, my own agenda. It's a primary obstacle to, to availability, isn't it? Keeping our eyes on ourselves. So to be available to serve your community means take your eyes off self and be available. It might be as simple as starting the habit of drinking your coffee at the cafe if you're there by yourself without your mobile phone in front of you. It might be as simple as taking a, a walk around your office once every couple of hours and just saying hi to the people that work around you because often we have our head down doing our own stuff. 
practicing presence rather than practicing self. It doesn't have to be hard. The second thing that Jesus uh, was in serving is he was always grateful. Serving like Jesus meant that we're going to have an attitude of gratitude. Jesus found, uh, when he went to his um, friend's house, um, Mary and Martha, he found his friend Lazarus had died. This is where we hear compassionate Jesus come through and he wept, the shortest verse in scripture. And it hit home that his friend had died. However, as Jesus prepares to minister to Mary and Martha and to serve them by raising Lazarus back from the dead, he says this. This is before it all happened, before the um, resurrection happened. Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. You see, Jesus was grateful in all that he did. He prayed knowing that God was already at work doing things already, and he just hopped on board with what his father was doing. And he did it with an attitude that was thankful. When you serve with a sense of gratefulness, of gratitude, God's glory is seen, not just by you, but by all those around you. When you minister, if you minister out of sense of duty, or if you serve because you're told you have to do this, all of a sudden it doesn't have quite the same sort of feel, does it, in yourself. And you know what? People notice that. We want people in our children's ministry who are passionate about sharing Jesus and helping our, our, our children meet Jesus. We want people who are, are serving in the kitchen, who are passionate about um, seeing people enjoying our fellowship together. We, we want those who are doing the gardening to do it because they love to see the, the gardens nurtured in such a way that it glorifies God. I love those people that come and do the garden. I see them every week. And uh, it's good to see them serving. Not because they, they, they have to do it. They come because they want to do it. They come grateful that they've got the opportunity to make this place look wonderful. It is a visually stunning place to drive into. It doesn't do it by itself. <laughs> so for all of you who come and do the garden each week, thank you. You serve in such a way that makes me say, I can see God's glory as I drive into this place. So first, serve through being available, serve with gratefulness. Thirdly, Jesus' service was continually faithful. He served faithfully. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a, giving, given a trust must prove faithful. God has entrusted each of us with the task of using the gifts that he's given us for his glory. Our role as saved people is to serve God through serving others using the gifts that God has given each of us. And we're called to be faithful with those gifts. Faithful servants complete tasks. Faithful servants uh, fulfill responsibilities. Faithful servants keep promises. They don't leave things undone. Faithful servants don't quit when it gets hard. Rather, they rely on the goodness of God to prove trustworthy and dependable. Doug Fields, who was a pastor at Saddleback Church in America about 10 years ago, um, he's involved in families ministry now, he said this. He said this. Every task should be approached with equal dedication. He says not every task uses the same skills, 
because we're not given the same skills, but should be done with equal dedication. I love that. I love that concept that no matter what you're doing, if you're serving God, do it with a dedication that, that requires a response from others. So those who set up the communion once a month, who make sure that there are pens in the back of our seats and who fold the bulletins, those who put paper towels in our toilets, they may not get the recognition that the children's ministry team or the youth team get when we get them up and pray for them. Maybe they should. (laughs) But setting up a communion and teaching our kids, they're both as important as each other. They require different skills, but they demand the same dedication from the servant, don't they? There will be people who do things that we'll never even know about in this church. People, there are things that happen in this church that um, if they stopped, it would actually be devastating, but we don't know who does it. Does anyone know who puts the heater on on a Sunday morning to keep us warm when it gets cold? Do you know that we've got a ministry of people who are rostered to care out in our children's ministry for those with special needs and extra needs? Do you know who our Bible Buddies leaders are? You don't need to. I'm not doing that as a challenge. But what's important is that no action of service within the church is more or less important than any other. Yet they all demand an equal amount of diligence. There's so many opportunities to serve at KSBC. When you find a place to serve, to fulfill your giftings and your passion, that you decide, whatever that might be, visible or non-visible, do it with all that you have, because you're serving God. The same goes when you serve people in your neighbourhood. As you commit to serving your neighbourhood, as you make yourself available to them, as you serve with a thankful heart, remain faithful and diligent in service. The last one, and I'll just be quick with this one. Jesus' service was humble. Jesus would often withdraw from crowds after a heavy time of ministry to stop and be with his father. He needed to do that. He withdrew in order that he was not the one that was glorified, but his father was glorified. Our actions of serving God through others shouldn't be about self-promotion or wanting to do it to be seen. Rather, it should be about stepping back and allowing God to take the glory. So be humble in service. I wonder if this week you've been given the opportunity to serve the people around you in new ways. I wonder this week coming if you'll be uh, given the opportunity to see the working of God in action and serve others. I wonder how your heart is as you serve the church and the community around you. Will you serve with gratitude? Will you remain faithful as you serve in church and outside of church? And will you do it all to give the glory to God? It all starts with us remembering that we serve because we're saved. That's our starting point. So may you serve faithfully in the coming days, weeks, months and years. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that as we think about that that core of service, that we serve only because you first saved us. Our response 
is that we may serve you by serving those around us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen.